You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to their episode. So this episode is another interview in our 2020 Guide to Denver Real Estate Investing Strategies book. So my guest co-host today is Terrence Doyle. Terrence, glad to have you back. Thanks for having me. And who we're interviewing today is Kyle Doney with Living Real Estate. So he wrote a chapter in the 2019 book, and he also wrote a chapter in the 2020 book. And I'd really recommend everyone, everyone out there to read both those chapters because his business has gone through some great growth. Uh, so I'm interested to talk to you about that, Kyle, hear what you're doing, also hear some of the growing pains you're having, um, and just see how you're expanding because you've had some impressive numbers, man. Glad to have you on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, so why don't you uh, give everyone just a, a quick recap here? Like, like, what's your business? Because I don't want to do it injustice and not do a good job of telling people what you do because you've definitely expanded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, generally, I'm a fix and flipper. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the majority of my business is is fix and flip. Um, but I, I, I mean, I I buy rentals as well. I've been buying rentals since I started. That's how I got into the business. And um, I, I do some note investing and some owner finance stuff. Uh, and then we'll we'll wholesale here and there as well. You know, we'll wholesale a few a year. Um, but but primarily, I'm a fix and flipper. Sounds like you're opportunistic as well. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> look, look at the deal and figure out what works, and uh, go go that direction. So there's not, it's not like it has to be a flip. If it doesn't make sense as a flip, we'll wholesale it. You know, yeah. Or if it makes sense as a rental, keep it. It just, it just depends on the deal. So what's like your, what's your filter process? Is it, is everything first like through the lens of fix and flip, and then it doesn't work, it goes to this, or like how do you, what's your like logic tree on that? Yeah, I mean, generally, I try to come in with the mindset of. Um, if I'm going to put something under contract, we're, we're intending to close on it. You know, like I really don't want to fumble around with a bunch of deals that are like, they don't work and, you know, maybe we'll make a couple grand on it. Um, like trying to wholesale it cause it's just a waste of time. Like I'm looking for, I'm, I'm mainly looking at stuff when I, when a deal comes in and, and, uh, an acquisition person is working it on our team, then, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at it and, and look at it to keep as a flip, um, typically. So that's kind of the frame that I'm looking at deals in, you know, that we're okay. going to take it down. Yeah, Kyle, so you and I have met a couple times uh, in the past and we've spoken, I think we met, I uh, can't remember who, but we met a couple years back. And I believe that was like your first or second year in real estate. And I have a great admiration for people that have served in our military. So why don't you maybe give the audience a little bit of background if they don't know, how did you get into real estate, what you're doing before real estate and how you started and then we'll go into kind of what you're doing now to show, show the, uh, the growth you've had. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started in, in 2013. Um, I, uh, I just started one at a time. So, uh, I was in, I was in the military and, and, uh, I was active duty and then I went in the reserves and, and uh, while I was in the reserves, I, I went to college and, uh, I started just gaining interest in, in becoming an entrepreneur and, and starting a business uh, so after college, I, I started a, a, a vending machine company, a healthy vending machine company, and uh, started an electronic wholesale company as well. And uh, those two things were were doing well for me. Um, and that kind of got me into the, yeah, I cut my teeth on the the healthy vending business, really, like understanding business and, and uh, just learning, learning the ropes. And then uh, from there, you know, I was, I was doing well in those businesses and, and that led me into real estate. Um, I was always interested and, and, uh, 
um, just started reading on bigger pockets. Actually, that's re- where I started reading about it and learning. And um, you know, bought, bought the first house. Uh, I remember I had some friends that were were in the business um, in Texas, and uh, I, they they kind of were like, "Yeah, it's a good deal. You should buy that." Uh, but I found a house on Craigslist and uh, up in Greeley, and that was my first one I bought, and kind of went from there. And do you still own that house? I do. I do. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I bought that house, um, off Craigslist for 25 grand. If you guys wow. know, uh, Denver prices, that's, it's ridiculous. Ridiculously <laughs> cheap <laughs> for a single family. Um, and you know, I, I made a bunch of bad, uh, bad calls on that house. You know, like I tried working on it myself with a buddy and like, right. you know, found out real quick, I'm not a contractor and that's not, <laughs> that's not what I should be doing. Um, you know, I, I, uh, rented to the wrong person. The first tenant that I had, uh, destroyed the house and I had a victim, you know, stopped paying like two months after they were in and, and, and learned some hard lessons there. And, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of my first experience in real estate. And, and then it, it went from there. So I just like, uh, I just want to hear a little bit more about that first deal. So you bought it for 25,000 off Craigslist, which yeah, yeah. I wish you could still buy homes on Craigslist for 25,000. Those were the good old days. And now what is yeah. the home rented for? Uh, I rent it for a thousand bucks a month. It's a it's a two bedroom one bath. It's like I want to say seven hundred square feet. A little small, little small house. That's an insane return. Twenty five thousand dollars, and now you're getting twelve thousand a year in uh, gross income. Yeah, I plan on keeping it forever. That's right. And you made a bunch of mistakes, and uh, yeah. and you're still going to make money. So that's that's the beauty of real estate. So yeah. you started in two thousand thirteen. You you graduate from college. We're in the reserves. You bought your first house, and then in two thousand nineteen. Uh, in the chapter, you talk about you did 62 deals last mm. year. So walk yeah. walk the audience through a little bit the transition of how you went from one house in Greeley to 62 deals. You know, give us kind of what what were the what were the milestones there and how you were able to grow that. Um, for sure, yeah. So I'll just clarify that's under contract. That wasn't closed. I think we closed like 42 or somewhere around there. Um, okay. Like actually closed and profited from. So I usually just I count them you know, you can acquisition a deal, but if I get a deal in like December, that counts towards that 62, but we're not going right. to, we're not going to sell it till 2020 and yeah, you know, whatever, yeah. March, whatever. So just to clarify that. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a, it, it was a, it was a slow transition really. I mean, when I started in 2013, I bought two houses and then, uh, 14, I, I think in 14, I didn't buy anything. I think, uh, um, I was so busy, busy with the other businesses that I just, didn't buy anything at all. Um, and then 15, I started buying again. I bought a few in 15 and then 16, I really, um, I really started ramping it up. Um, so I streamlined some things into other two businesses where I wasn't working in them act like they weren't taking up as much of my time. And so I was able to get into more flips and, and more deals. And, uh, I, I forget the exact number that I did in 16, but, um, bought a bunch. I, I, I got into a, a bad partnership and, and, um, learned some hard lessons in, in 2016, lost a bunch of money on, on different flips and, and uh, made some terrible mistakes. Uh, luckily, I had the other businesses that were bringing in income and that that pulled me through. And so I, I survived that. Um, and then in 17, I really was like, okay, this is, we're going to go full time here. And like, this is going to be, this is going to be my sole focus. And um, th- I, I think I sold the vending business at the end of 17. But I was really out of the business. I was putting in, you know, very little hours per week in that business, um, and got out of the uh, got out of the, the other wholesale business. And and um, 
just started focusing in 17 and uh, I think we did 28 deals in 17, something like that. Um, and it's just going from there. You know, it's, it's really comes down to, to the team, how I've been able to grow. I've, I've, I've found some good people and um, I have an awesome team. We're, we're small, but, but mighty. And uh, you know, they, they really, they really do a great job and, and help me look good and, and uh, give a lot of praise to, to that, just finding the right people. And I continue to do that. That's, that's how I continue to, to grow and, and uh, grow the team and grow people around me as well. Yes, those are some. You made some great points there, and I want to come back to the team aspect. Let's talk about. Let's talk more about the growth. So, in the chapter, I was really fascinated. You talk about going to North Carolina, to Raleigh, and to Little Rock, Arkansas. So, yeah. out of all, I think you know, for the audience out there, that's like, okay, you're in Denver, you're in Greeley. How the heck did you pick Raleigh and Little Rock? I mean, two different parts of the country, totally different demographics. I'm sure real estate and the way the market operates, and even how title and lending is so different there. Can you give, I'd love to just know personally, like, how did you underwrite those cities? Was it you had relationships? I mean, how did you pick those cities? You know, was it based on data? Was it based on family and friends? I mean, how, how did you come about going from, you know, Denver to those two markets? Yeah. Um, so really it, it was, it was the relationships of, to grow there. I mean, in, in Denver alone, we've expanded a bunch. I mean, we're up in Wyoming now, uh, doing flips up in Cheyenne. And we're all the way down to Pueblo. So we're all over Denver. And I was like, you know, why, why can't we do this in other states? Um, really, I wouldn't be in North Carolina if it wasn't for, for Josh Morris, who, who's my partner there. Um, he, he and I worked together here in Denver for a long time and in a previous business as well. And so we had a, we had a long relationship of working together and been, been friends for, since college. So um, he, uh, he started his own thing in North Carolina, moved to Raleigh, and uh, it just kind of made sense to keep partnering together. And so that was, that was my end there. You know, otherwise I, I wouldn't be in that market if it wasn't for him. Um, so that's, that's how we went into there. And, and it's pretty much, we're doing, the price points are cheaper there, but um, I think the margins are about the same. And, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a competitive market as well, um, but it's similar. And we can, we can run the same model that we're running here in Denver in Raleigh, which is mostly flips and, you know, some wholetails, some light, light rehabs. Um, there's a lot more uh, newer houses there. Uh, which I which I like a lot because uh, there you know there's just less issues. But then you got your own you, you got differences there as well. You know you got um, like termite issues uh, in, in in North Carolina and Arkansas that you don't have here. Um, so there there's that type of stuff. And then in North Carolina it's an attorney state, and so you know here we're a title state. We close at a title company. There it's attorneys that close the deals, and it, they're much more difficult to work with. And so that whole side of things is, it's completely different and I'm still learning the ropes there. Um, and, and Josh is helping a lot with that. I've heard attorney states are just nightmares. Every agent yeah. and investor I've talked to in those states, all they do is bitch about it. Like they're more pathetic deals to be honest. Apart, <laughs> yeah. Lawyers get involved. And of course it just makes things infinitely more complicated. Yeah. I was actually a, an attorney state as well. Why, you know, explain to the audience just, a brief overview of why an attorney state is more difficult to close than title. Uh, from, from what I've seen so far, it's just, they're just not on top of things like a title company. Like the, they, they're very like lackadaisical when it comes to the paperwork and just getting payoffs and getting things done. I, I don't know why it is, but we've tried a couple of different attorneys now and we're using the best, the best of the best in uh, North Carolina. And like, they're still terrible. Um, so I really don't have an answer for your question besides yeah. they, they're just really like, they're just not on top of things like a title company is 
here in Colorado. You got to really be on them. Yeah, for us, it's just the the title, the history of title, right? They have to chase down the abstract. So, you know, in Des Moines, it's like, you know, for instance, like in Denver, you know, if you find a deal and someone needs to close in seven days, you can do it because title is able to pull the history so much faster. They have people in the office doing that. They don't have to go around to different offices around town and everything's just in one place. And in Des Moines, closing in seven days is like unheard of because they can't even track down the abstract in seven days. So then to yeah. update it and have the attorneys look at it and see if there's any liens or any, you know, even where the boundary lines are on a property, you know, all those things, you know, when you're dealing with an attorney that has to go down to the city and find out who's owned the property that, you know, uh, they're just, they're, it brings so many new variables into play. And yeah, I mean, I've seen closings get delayed 30, 45 days just trying to update the abstract. Um, yeah. Because literally, it's just like, okay, Chris Lopez owned this home five years ago before Chris, Mary Ann, and her husband owned it. And then they had a lien from there, or they went through a divorce and has a divorce been cleared? I mean, it just gets, you know, you're just, you're, you're taking something that should be really simple and they just make it so, you know, infinitely more complicated. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's hard is those attorneys have lobbyists in those states. And I don't, you know, because I've, I've asked a couple of different friends, like, hey, when is this going to go to a title? Because everyone, no one can defend the fact that title isn't the better option. But I think because it drives so much revenue to attorneys there, it's uh, it's hard to see that going away, even though it is antiquated. Yeah, for sure. So I don't, we don't need to get uh, sidetracked on that, but that is interesting that you're having that same issue in North Carolina. Hey, what, what, are does. Pr- what are price points like in North Carolina? Uh, like we're generally- the flips you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're generally like in the mid, mid 200s. Um, look through my list, yeah. I mean, we're buying in the mid hundreds and selling in- the two hundreds, upper two hundreds, generally under just three, like generally under three hundred grand. What type of neighborhoods would you compare that to in Denver? Just as far as like you know, um, house, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. They're different type of houses. Like it's they're not. It's not. Uh, it's it's definitely different. I I would compare it to like maybe like some some of the northern regions like Westminster, Thornton, um, okay. just a lot of like suburban neighborhood style, newer communities. Yeah, newer communities. Um, kind of like the cookie cutter of, home right next to the other one. Not a lot of mature trees. Yes, exactly. Character. Yeah, a lot of cook, a lot of cookie cutter, which uh, really it makes things easier, in my right. opinion. It's easier to comp. It's like it, it just makes things easier. So, what brought you to Little Rock? The North Carolina connection makes sense with your business partner there. What about yeah. Little Rock? Yeah, Little Rock. Uh, so I, I actually pulled out of Little Rock. So we still got some deals going there, but I have pulled out of Little Rock. So that. That uh, I'm done there. Um, and we can go into that. <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind, like, because I, I, I personally like. I mean, I mean, all three of us, and I think probably most people listening to this, anyone who's anyone that's an investor, out there, an entrepreneur, you have your good times, you also have your bad times, and we like to reflect on our good times more. But I love learning about you know what went sideways or why it's not a good use of your time, or whatever it is. Like, why did you go in there, and then what happened to make you pull out? Yeah. Okay, so I went in because I, I met a partner or I met a, I met a guy at a, a networking event. Great guy, um, you know he's he's very smart with with creative deals, and that's that's what I wanted to to do more of. So um, deals in my retirement account and IRA and and just tax free deals uh, is really the main reason I went in there and to to find you know long term cash flow with those type of deals. So um, really, our strategy was to do wraps and uh, come in there and and find private money to finance these houses. And they're like, let's say 40 grand, you know, they're really cheap and then go sell them to a homeowner at, um, you know, 10% interest, which they're used to paying. 
for let's say a hundred grand. Okay. And then just sit there and make the cash flow. Um, that was, that was the main strategy there. Um, and we did some wholesales last year. I think, I, I don't know the exact number of deals we did there, but, uh, it was over 10 or somewhere around there. Um, actually I think it was a lot more than that. I don't know. It was somewhere 10 plus. Uh, I don't know the exact amount. I'd, I'd have to look back, but sounds like you have too many deals. Uh, yeah, they're you all lose track time. after 10. Yeah. It was something over 10. It was a lot. <laughs> I don't know. It's a There's good problem a to have. It's a good problem to have. <laughs> we did, we did a bunch there, but, um, we definitely did some notes and, and whatnot. But what I found is that, um, the profits are just really small and I, I I'm, I'm used to the Denver spreads and North Carolina spreads are pretty similar. And so it, it just kind of became not worth the time to, to do these deals. Um, then you're splitting it, you know, you're splitting it in half on a small deal already. And so there's just not a lot of profit in it for the amount of time it takes. Um, that, that was one issue. Um, you know, the, the guy that I was working with, he's working with some sales guys that they really have their own goals and ambitions to do real estate. And so they weren't necessarily focused on, on our end on the leads and we're doing their own thing, you know, and I think that hurt us on getting, getting some deals. And so, you know, I'm looking at the leads that we're generating that are costing money and I'm spending, you know, a chunk of cash every month marketing there. And then I see stuff sitting in our CRM not being worked and that's really frustrating. Um, you know, and so that was, that was another issue. So they were just neglecting the leads. They weren't like working them and selling them their own deals. They were just neglecting you. Just neglecting the leads. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were getting deals of course, but, uh, they were getting deals as well, but it was more like the laydowns, the ones that was like. Oh, it came in and it's super hot. And when I say lay down, that means it was easy. Like you could lock it up like that. Yeah. And, uh, the ones that needed like follow up for the next six months to get the deal. Those ones were like, no, I'm, I ain't, uh. <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, like I, you know, it really, you, you have to follow up. Like follow up is a big part of the game. Um, you have to follow up you have to be on these, you gotta go on appointments. Like it takes work. And, uh, I just seen that not, you know, they, they weren't doing that. Um, so that was another issue, but I think a lot of it was just that the profits are small. Once you come in and do one of these wrap deals and, and you have an underlying lender and you're paying them, you know, 10% and you mark up the, you sell the property and you mark it up another, um, you know, you, you sell it for 10%, but you mark up the, the, um, the, uh, the price. That's cool. You can create a couple hundred bucks, but, uh, of cash flow there, then you split it 50, 50 and it's just, it's just not a lot of money. And, uh, it just became not worth it. Um, long story short. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you say that because I think two or three years ago when we were really having the flipping game you know, we had stuff going in Dallas and Tampa and Charleston and in Louisville and then obviously Des Moines and Denver. And I, I think at the end of the year, I don't know who brought it to my attention, but I was like, I should probably just sit down and see like, you know, what is the actual return on these, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think Chris and I even recorded a podcast from this like aha moment I had, which was just on out-of-state investing. And I think, and I'm not sure how often you hear it, but I hear so many people like, well, I'm going to go to Indianapolis or I'm going to go to Kansas City or I'm going to go to this other Midwest state where I can get 10 or nine or whatever ridiculous cap rates that you can't get in Denver. Or you can, but it's very hard. It's not, you know, you can't just find them on the MLS. And, and I think it's interesting. You're making a great point that, you know, when you look at it all net net, what's my return on my time? You just keep coming back to Denver. It's like, I think I'm just going to stick here. And I think that was what the decision I made, you know, in 2018, the same thing was, 
you know, you could have all this additional risk being out of state, not being there, not having your interest aligned, not being able to manage the team, um, the price points being different, the closing being different, you know, uh, just banking being different. And, uh, and even though things can look so attractive on an Excel spreadsheet, when you get down to it, you you know, I just realized, and it sounds like you're, you're finding the same thing is, you know, I, I can just do better with my money in Denver. I'm just going to stay here and where I know I can go, uh, see the property every day. If something, if something happens. A hundred percent. Yeah. The other, the other part of it is when you're in those, those really low price point markets, I mean, there's, there's houses that you can't give away. Like seriously, you can't even give them away. Like people don't, it's like, they're like war zones. Yeah. And, resale you know, market's we, much drier. That's right. Less yeah, liquid. Yeah. So it takes longer to sell stuff. Um, you know, and, and then there's, there's properties that are just so thrashed and beat up. Like you can't even sell them. Even if you're owner financing somebody, like people don't want them. I mean, they don't want to be in the area. It's crime. You know, there's a lot of crime and, and, um, you know, so we got into some bad deals too. And, and that was due to taking the word of somebody else looking at it that wasn't experienced enough to know what, what was wrong with the property. And that was, you know, uh, got us into some bad deals where they're, they're going to lose money or they lost money. Um, the good old fashioned out of state dummy tax. Yeah. That's what I call so, it. You're paying yeah, the dummy so, tax. Yeah. It's, it's like, exactly oh, this is a great so. neighborhood. It's like crime central yeah, down yeah, the street so, from, yeah. Not, not, uh, I, I, and I still got some deals going there. And like I said, you know, the guys, I, I have a good relationship relationship with those guys there. They're good guys. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I want to keep a relationship with them, but, uh, just partnership wise and, and being worth being worthwhile being there. I don't, it's not, not going to go forward with it. So learn yeah, that the hard it. way. And, and, uh, I want to go deeper into North Carolina and we're going deeper here in Denver. Uh, like I said, we're, we're covering a wide range. So there's plenty of opportunity here to stay busy. And, and we really don't, you know, I don't really need to put my time over there at, at this point. Yeah. There's no need to take unnecessary risk when you have two solid markets with great operators. It's proven. Yeah. And just trim the fat and focus, double down on, on your strengths. I, I, we, Chris and I talk about that all the time. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, the audience is, I think getting into real estate or maybe they're in and they're trying to grow and get to where, you know, going from where you were in 2013, 14 and 15 to where you are now. And the questions of partnerships comes up a lot. And I really, you know, I think earlier in the, in the show, you talked about how you had some bad partnerships in other businesses and even, you know, the Little Rock and North Carolina, you know, relationships. So what's your advice to people starting out that, you know, may need to form a partnership? Maybe they can find deals, but they don't have the capital, or maybe they have the capital, but don't have the deals or they don't have the construction. You know, what, it, what would be some of your, you know, high level uh, bullet point you know, advice to someone that's getting started or wants to grow and is looking to get into partnerships? What's, what's your advice and take on that? I, I mean, I would, first thing I would say is just do it on a one-off basis. Like there's no reason to go in 50, 50 on everything right up right away. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see a need for it. So I would say it's great to have partnerships. Partnerships are great. I still, I have partnerships that, you know, and here in Denver, I'll partner on stuff, but it's on a one-off basis. You know, it's like, hey, I found this deal and you have this resource. Do you want to come in on this deal with me? Right. And and uh, there's no need to go create an LLC and be 50-50. And it's like, okay, you know, from here on out, like we're married to this. And, and you know, I see a lot of people doing that. They don't even really know each other very well. They just met at a, like like what I just said, they just met at a <laughs> conference or something. Right. And it's like, right. let's just do this. Right. And and um, I don't think there's a need for that. I think you can, you can do it in a way where you're not, you're not, join with an LLC and you don't got to do a tax return together and all that stuff. Um, you could just, 
have a 50 50 uh deal by deal type of partnership um so that yeah, that'd so be my start slow advice. start slow date a little bit see how see how they handle conflict yeah. see how they handle things not going the right way i mean i think one of the biggest things i've learned over the past couple of years is you know when markets are going up and everyone's making money it, even people that aren't really aligned in their values or their work ethic tend to have successful partnerships but as soon as as soon as something goes south and s- someone loses money and you have to write a check that's where i think you see who you know who your real partners are and who the who the people are that you want to continue to do business with i think when you're making money in an in and up market it's pretty easy to uh to keep things cordial and and to have a good working relationship but i i i totally agree i think that start small start slow do one thing together and then see how that goes. And I think really, you know, one of the things I like to talk to people about is see how they handle conflict and see how they handle when things go bad. You really get a good read on someone, you know, when things do not go as planned. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And, and then just, you know, see how much, see how much work they put in. Like it, it's tough right. with partnerships because you, I think one person ultimately always feels like they're doing more than the other person. And that's where a lot of conflict comes in. You know, and and so you got to really be on the same page of, of what do you bring into the table and 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 uh, individually, you know, like hey, I'm doing X, Y, Z, and right. you do that and you get it done, and the partner's doing whatever their responsibilities are, and you map that out and you put it on a, a JV agreement, a joint venture agreement, and spell it all out. Like here it is. So when we get down the road two months on this project, and and you're like, I didn't say I was going to do that. <laughs> oh no, you did. You signed right here, and I have it all mapped out. <laughs> so right. I think I think you know paperwork. Just same with dealing with contractors. Like it's the same deal. Have a lot of paperwork. Have your expectations, and just write everything out so that it's it's solid. There's no second guessing it. It's spelled out. It's agreed upon. Signed. That's a that's a really good point for people starting out or any any phase of their real estate careers. You know, my attorney told me a couple of years ago, if it's not in writing, it's not real. Yeah. If it's not in writing, it never happened. And uh, you have to get everything in writing. Uh, yeah. I don't know that you need everything notarized. You know, I don't think you have to go that far, but I think you have to have everything in writing. You have to have both parties signing saying, yeah, this is what we agreed to on this date. And for like exactly what you said to go back in six months when there's a rainy day and he doesn't want to write the check or doesn't want to do what he committed to and say, here, here's, here's what you committed to six months ago. And And, uh, it's, that's, you know, that's part of having really strong fences that create good neighbors and good partnerships is you have to, and I think that's, that's fundamental and, uh, you know, you have to do that. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. hundred percent. So I want to ask you, you know, because when you wrote this chapter, it was obviously before anyone knew what coronavirus was. Now everyone does. How has that impacted your business? Um, Right now, things are crazy, really. I mean, it's, it's actually been a good thing <laughs> right now. Um, and, and really, uh, kind of when it hit, I started seeing a lot more opportunities. And so when this, when this whole thing started happening, a lot of guys just like stopped buying completely and just are on the sidelines. And some of them might still be. Um, for me, that was not the case. I was like, bring it on. Let's, you know, I, I'm going to buy deeper. I changed, on, I changed my numbers a bit. And, and uh, I got a little bit more conservative on how I was buying um, and looking at stuff because thinking down the road and still, I'm still looking at stuff like this, but you know, if we go into a project, we're probably four to six months out on actually selling it um, sometimes sooner, you know, sometimes we can get done in three or, or less if it's easy, but 
um, I'm forecasting out. And so when it first hit, I started, I tightened up a bit, but I kept buying and I seen more opportunities because other guys were not buying. Um, but I'm still, I'm still at it. I'm still going. And, and what it, what it did right now, there's, there's not as much supply and there's a huge like demand. I don't, I guess it's a pent up demand. Um, I listened to some of your stuff, Chris, and you're talking about this and you guys are seeing it. I mean, we're, we just put a house on the market yesterday and then the first day we had 25 showings and people were just chomping at the bit to make offers. Like they, you know, it's, it's insane right now. Um, and so I just think there's not a lot of inventory and, and the getting is good at the moment. So for you, I mean, overall, it's just been, you saw an opportunity, uh, you tightened up your underwriting a little bit and just kept moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. I kept moving uh, forward. I mean, I think, uh, We've we've saw a bit of a decrease in, in sellers wanting to actually sell. I think a lot of guys have. Uh, people are sitting tight, and that's why you see this this pent up demand. If people are sitting sitting tight and waiting to see what what happens with the market and not selling, and so on the single family side, that's been a little bit of an issue. Um, but we're still. I mean, we have a ton of projects going. We're still getting stuff uh, weekly and and finding new deals, and uh, hasn't been too much of an issue. Have you, uh, have you felt the eye buyers, the, you know, the Zillows and all those guys, have you felt them leave the market? Has it been easier for you in the acquisition side or has it made a difference? I, honestly, not, not really. Um, I haven't noticed it too much. Uh, we, we did get some opportunities from, from them bailing out of, of, uh, contracts. Um, but they're back now. Uh, I think most of them are back wow. buying again. So Someone told me Zillow's come back in like the next week or two. Wow. Yeah, because I saw that they stopped in March. Yeah. I didn't know they were back. Yeah, I think Open Door is back as well. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I it's just I don't know. Um, they 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 move a little bit slower. It's a bit different. Uh, I think it's for for the seller's point of view, like working with us versus working with with them is is a different process. It's not as personal, and so there's some advantage there, um, but it hasn't been a big issue at at this point. Okay. I'm really interested in, you know, what was your mentality? So it's like March 20th, the entire world is in a pandemic. Every governor shutting everything down. Everybody just like wanting to go inside their home and just hide and, you know, like just try and be protected and, and not take any risk or not take any action. What was it? What was your, what was your thought process that said, oh no, I'm going to stay active. I'm just going to tighten up my underwriting and still be out there looking for deals. What what was what was your thought process like that led to that decision? Versus a lot of people that we know that were like, I want to sell everything. I want to go hunker down and just and just take cover. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't worried. I was for sure concerned. You know, we we have a lot of projects going, and uh, it's it's concerning for sure with all that news and, and people scared. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say it was not concerned at all. I, I was definitely concerned, but I kept going. I mean, I have a team of people and I don't, what am I going to do? I don't, I'm not going to shut down, shut it down and be like, Hey, sorry guys. Like you're on, on the street. I'm scared. You know, like, I don't think as a, as a leader, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run away and be like, yeah, you guys are out, go fend for yourself. And, and, uh, sorry, you know, like, no, we have things going. Um, people rely on me and, and, uh, you know, I want to keep growing and I'm not, if I stop, I'm not growing. And so right, yeah. I, I think in any market you can, you can thrive. And so mm -hmm. it's just, it's just another, it's just a shift that you have to make as, as a business owner or somebody, a real estate investor, 
keep going, but shift, maybe you have to shift your strategy a little bit. Maybe you got to get a little bit more cautious. Um, but I don't see a reason to stop, you know, and, right. and I'm glad that I didn't stop because the stuff that we were buying then that we're selling now, like, like I said, the market's so hot, we're doing well on everything. And, and could that change? Yeah, it definitely could change. Um, but will we, will we be okay? As long as it doesn't go down 50% overnight, like we're, we're fine. You know, like we'll adjust, we'll adjust as the market adjusts and we'll keep going and there'll be opportunities in, in any market. Yeah, no, that's really good stuff. I think part of what we've been talking to other guests about is just being able to stay disciplined, you know, and, and, and as long as you stay disciplined, even through a downturn, you know, it's kind of like you dollar cost average in and, uh, and you're going to be okay. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate. You may have to hold it a little bit longer. You may have to refinance out of some hard money and get some long-term financing and rent it or, you know, get creative. But I think that's the beauty of real estate. As long as you're disciplined and you have the ability to hold, um, and you're, you're taking action when other people are scared, I think it only creates opportunity and, and upside long-term. So that's, uh, that's really good stuff, Kyle. Yeah. You got to adapt. That's right. Um, I want to get this question before we wrap up here next like five minutes or so, Kyle. But, you know, the podcast we recorded, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so, just kind of talking about a lot of the operations, your business, the wholesaling, your marketing ad spend. I get a lot of people coming to the podcast website saying, hey, I want to get into, get into, you know, wholesaling, all this stuff. I'm like, great. I go, that's, you know, that's not my wheelhouse. But I say, hey, go, go listen to Kyle's podcast. That's, that's a great resource. And uh, so my first question is, I know back then you were up for people reaching out to you to help do some mentorship because then that leads to some deal flow for you, some partnership opportunities. For all those people out there that want to do what you're doing, can they still reach out to you to like run deals by you and, and get your help as well? 100%. Yeah. I mean, okay. that's, I'm connecting with people every single day. I mean, people are DMing me and, and, um, you know, chatting, chatting online and, and sending me stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, ask anybody that knows me and, and they'll say, I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm an open person and I'll, I'll chat with anybody, you know, I mean, obviously I, I'm, I'm a busy guy. And so I can't, I can't spend, uh, you know, two hours on the phone with somebody mentoring them yeah. to get the first deal, but, but, uh, definitely open to chat with people and, and give them a piece of advice on, on what direction to go or, or, you know, advise them on where they're at and what I think they should do next to, to get where they want to be. Good. Well, I'll, I'll keep sending your podcast to people. Uh, my second question on the marketing side, because I know we geeked out on some of your marketing. It was after record the podcast. Um, yeah. Have you seen any like difference in trends, especially comes like you know like Google pay per click ads or anything on like uh, like trends or dot or you know ad cost changing once the pandemic hit or once Open Door left, anything like that? Um. I think the marketing is actually a little bit less effective at the moment. Uh, and and yeah. And like I said, that's because people are holding onto their houses. They're not, there's not as many people selling. And so that, you know, there's always going to be people that need to sell for whatever reason, um, some type of financial hardship that they have to sell their house now. Um, there, that's always going to be out there, but the people that aren't in like dire straits to sell their house right now, they're, they're waiting and they're seeing how things shake out. Um, which is why inventory is so low. And so that means that our marketing is less effective. That means that we have to do more marketing and spend more money to get to the right people. Um, and so that, that'd be one thing. I, I think, uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of wholesalers and there's a lot of people that want to invest and do marketing. And so they, they gravitate towards the cheap marketing, which is telemarketing, cold calling, texting, 
that type of thing. And so we've seen that become less effective um, for sure. Like you just have to do way more of it. And um, that that's definitely been something that's changed. I didn't get some other questions here. And so we got like two minutes left. Here's, here's uh, I'll, I'll leave you with, uh, since we don't have a lot of time, I thought your chapter was power packed with a bunch of great principles. So I'd encourage everyone to go out there and, and uh, read the chapter and, uh, and reach out to you. I think, you know, your story coming from, you know, uh, you know, military background, college, and then how you started slow and, and had different businesses and were kind of fine tuning just what being an entrepreneur was to like really figuring it out and doubling down. I think it's really inspirational. I think there's a lot of great uh, valuable nuggets there for people to, to get. One of the things that really stuck out to me that I don't think can be repeated enough is just delayed gratification you know, and, and in your chapter, you talk about doing, using your retirement accounts and 401k and IRA, you know, so you can have money in the future, even if, if it's not going to create current day income. Expand on that a little bit. Talk about why you think that's so important and why that's something that you've decided to, to, uh, to as a pillar of your, you know, create a, a pillar of your business around investing like that. Well, I appreciate the kind words, first of all. Um, second of all, I've always been, uh, let's just say the cheap ass. And I've uh, been tight with my money and, um, you know, it's paid off for me over the years. I've been like that since I was a kid. Um, I've just been a saver. Um, I, I've all, that's how I started the vending business. I was in the military making, I don't know, 20 some grand a year, you know, as a, as a, a low level, uh, you know, airman. And, uh, but I was stacking cash. I was, I was eating at the chow hall. I was saving money. I wasn't like dining mm-hmm. out and blowing, blowing money at the bar. I was saving. And I, I did not have you know, rich parents that said, here's all this cash, you know, go start a business. That's, that's not how it went. I was a saver. I saved money and I took my life savings and started a business and just took a big risk. Um, but I, I could only do that because I was a saver and I, I didn't have luxurious stuff. You know, I, right. I still to this day, I drive a RAV4. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a flashy guy, you know, like I, Dude, those I, are coming uh, back, man. Don't downplay <laughs> There you go. Toyota's I, making some big changes there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm happy with the simple things. I don't need a, uh, um, I don't need the crazy stuff. And so I think that I take that that mindset into investing as well. And so you know, I'm always looking at where can we improve and and how can I get a better ROI on my marketing? How can we be more efficient with these rehabs? Where can we cut costs? Um, what's my cost per deal? What's my this? What's my that? And I'm always looking at the numbers and and trying to figure out you know how to be efficient and, and put out a good product and be effective, but at the same time, not just, you know, be crazy with my money. And, um, I think that helps a lot. Like you just, I'm not saying don't live life. Like I live life. I live, I live well and, and, um, uh, I'm happy, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't need to be flashy either. Extravagant. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd rather take that money and go buy a rental with it. Um, and get that passive, passive cash flow, you know, rather than have something fancy right now, I'll put it in a rental. I'll get that cash flow. I'll get equity building over the years, and uh, like you said, delayed gratification. And, and same with some deals. You know, like I could go flip a house, and uh, you know, fifty percent of it goes to the, to, to the IRS, and I I got some cash. But if I can do a few of those a year um, in my retirement account, then you know, I'm stacking stacking that account, and um, I, I can't touch that money now. But eventually, I will be able to, and I'll be I'll have a nice you know, pile of uh, cash. Yeah. I have a nice piggy bank. And, and, um, of course, like I, I can't do them all like that. Like I have, I have, I have staff, I have a lot of overhead. And so I have to bring in money and I have to sell houses to, to be able to keep everything going. 
Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, it's important to think like that and, and put money away for the future. Um, and then slowly, slowly buy rentals, you know, like I'm, I'm more of a, I'm not really a high leverage type of guy. Like I'd, I'd rather have equity in a house and feel safe and, and have more cash flow. Um, some people leverage like crazy and maybe that's holding me back a little bit on how many units I could have. But, um, I think, like I said, from, from as long as I can remember, that's just how I've been. I've been kind of on the, on the safer side of things, but obviously I still, you know, push it as well with, with the business and, and trying to grow and, and do more and more. So that's great take, stuff, man. I love yeah. It. Take, take some risk, but also like you got to take risk to get ahead of course. But at the same time, like there's, there's something to be said about being conservative as well. Kyle, this was great. Uh, I, every time I talk to you, I get more and more impressed with just the business you built and how you, how you run things. So hats off to you there, man. Appreciate it. And I know you'll be writing in the 2021 book, um, but we'll ha- actually have to talk before the next year too to stay in touch. I'm talking, but I need to stay in touch with this guy more. So we got to stay in touch more, man. I really appreciate this call with you. Yeah, I would love it. I'd love to, to do uh, more projects with you guys and however I can get involved and help would be, would be great. Sounds great. All right. Well, Terrence, thank you. Everyone out there, thanks for listening. If you guys are interested, you know, fixing and flipping wholesaling, uh, you know, Kyle's a great resource. Listen to his podcast and come out with him a couple of questions and do some good networking. So thanks, Kyle. That was great. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.